0: Good morning, Trinity. Today is Sunday, March 22nd. We will begin by praying the Collect for Purity. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord, Amen. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I can lack nothing. He shall feed me in green pastures and lead me forth beside the waters of comfort. He shall refresh my soul and bring me forth in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You shall prepare a table before me in the presence of those who trouble me. You have anointed my head with oil, and my cup shall be full. Surely your goodness and your mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord Father, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be the true bread which gives life to the world, evermore give us this bread, that He may live in us and we in Him, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
1: Our first reading today comes from 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 to 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you. And say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and to deal with sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit." To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading today is found in John chapter 9, verses one To 41. This is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, "'Where is he?' He said, "'I do not know.'" They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, "'He put mud on my eyes. Then I washed, and now I see.'" Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man Who had received his sight, and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But we do not know how it is that now he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and they said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found them, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Father, in these remarkable times we find ourselves in, we long to be rooted in your word and in the life of the spirit. To believe with every part of our being that where the spirit is, there is life and there is peace. And so we cling to your goodness We cling to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord, and we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning to you all. You'll be hearing this at least on Sunday morning as we release this. Now our second podcast in this new Rhythm of Life together, where we're sending these out via the podcast stream. And it's a unique moment to even be recording this. I sit at home in my son's bedroom and I'm looking out the front window. And I see all these families on a sunny, sun, uh, sunny afternoon, walking up and down the street, kids playing and laughing in the streets. And yet we sit here and at the same time, I just read these words from Jesus in a remarkable way where he says, a day is coming when the night will come and, and no one will be able to work. I don't know if you heard that line in our reading, but uh, even as we were reading through it, it, it struck me just the reality of the moment we find ourselves in. I imagine we're quickly growing weary of saying this, but these truly are unprecedented times that we live in, and so we continue as the people of God, and we walk day by day with faith and hope. And we will dive in in just a moment to the to the scriptures, but just maybe a, an opening practical comment as we continue to to try and get a feel for the lay of the land and what it means now, likely for an extended period of time for us to learn what it means to do life together while being apart. And so, as I've said before, the weekly reader, specifically the Northside weekly reader, is the single best way for you to stay connected. We will send that out now on Sunday mornings with an expanded podcast, not just the sermons, but as you've already heard, uh, Sindhu has been such a gift this week and will continue to be as she and I together put together kind of a, a modified format, a modified form of our Sunday service, our Sunday time together. And so we will send that out on Sunday mornings. And then on Wednesdays around 10 a.m., we will send out a midweek reader, a midweek way to stay connected uh, as a family. It'll have Lydia's class. It'll have other resources that are curated by Trinity as a whole and, and, uh, increasingly ways for us as the North side to also stay connected. I'll speak to this in a few minutes, but uh, want to find ways for us to pray together, to root ourselves in the rhythms of prayer that we've talked about for months now. And so we'll do that on Wednesday evenings and coming up in a few weeks, we'll begin a live version of that on, on Mondays during the middle of the day as well. But I'll talk about that more in a minute. Uh, one of the things I'm, I'm Mindful of and want to speak to because every day I've been receiving emails or texts from you, members of the North Side, asking how you can help. And I'm so grateful, truly so grateful for your. A posture of generosity, your willingness to step out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. And just want to say that that's a hard one at this exact moment to know how to answer well, because increasingly it seems that our duty to our community, one of the ways we love our neighbors well, love our elderly neighbors well, is to stay put to stay quarantined and be isolated for a season so as to stop the spread of this virus. And yet I still believe that there are ways that we must step out and be the church and serve in intentional ways. And we as a Trinity team are trying really actively to discern how do we best do this? How do we serve in ways that, that honor the needs of our community as a whole, but also are not afraid to reach out and be the loving hands and feet of God where that needs to happen? And so, So, stay tuned. Again, we will communicate that in centralized ways through that weekly email and through our website as well. Uh, Many of you may already be on the other side of things where it's not just how you can help, but you're saying, I need help. Uh, Maybe you've already been gravely impacted by the economic realities of this pandemic and are already in uncharted territories and trying to find ways to pay your rent and pay your bills and make sure you've got food for yourself and for your family. And so uh, if that's where you find yourself as well, there's a a way we as a church want to help. And so if you go to our website, atltrinity.org, there's also a place right there on that homepage for you to fill out a short form and begin a conversation about ways that the church could help you in this time of need. And so, as I've said, as you've heard said in many ways, we are, as the family of God, all in this together, and we will walk through it and get through it together. And the Lord will be faithful to us in this process. And on the other side of it, we will still be the church, still resting and trusting and hoping in his goodness in every way. Amen. Amen. So, As has been our habit, we're going to continue for a couple more weeks now to sit with the book of Romans, Romans chapter eight here today. But before we dive into that, there's really something that in light of the unique circumstances we find ourselves in has has been on my heart this week, and that's Uh, Psalm 77. And so I actually want to enter into Romans 8 by way of Psalm 77. I read this in passing earlier in the week, and it stuck with me all the way through. And I think it in a profound way speaks to our present situation. So I'm going to read the first five verses. I think these first five verses are incredibly timely for us as we sit here today in light of where we find ourselves. And so let me read the first four and then we'll make a few comments and then continue looking at the psalm. So Psalm 77, verse one to four, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God that he may hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. I think of God and I moan. I meditate and my spirit faints. You keep my eyelids from closing. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I remember years ago, over a decade ago now, sitting in a seminary class. It was a class on the Psalms. I was listening to a lecture about the psalms and specifically about some of the more difficult psalms for us to understand and for us to really emotionally engage with and the the tutor was acknowledging that the way in which everyone in that room at that moment struggled to enter into the emotion of the psalms particularly saying that we were unable to resonate with the level of pain and anguish and grief that defined the vast majority of the Psalms and the way in which they clung to the Lord for strength and for endurance and for courage and for hope because they faced painful realities that the majority of us in that room had never even come close to encountering, And they were pointing out some of the hardest psalms to sit with that we, in the comfort of the West, in our affluence and sense of security, have always kind of struggled with and not known how to engage. They were saying, how could we possibly resonate with this sense of being so deeply wronged or so deeply wounded that we would long for our enemies' children's heads to be dashed on rocks? Which is what it says in Psalm 137. How could we possibly know and enter into that unspeakable pain, this kind of anguish that characterizes so many of the Psalms? And yet in that class, what they pointed out, and I've never forgot this, they said, we are in the history of the human race, almost uniquely and entirely, unprecedentedly alone in that inability. Are inability to understand and resonate with that level of grief and loss makes us unique. We are not the norm in that way. And when you think about even in more recent years, um, the people who died in a Nazi concentration camp, they did not struggle to read the Psalms. If you go further back, the millions who suffered and lived through the Black Death, they read the Psalms with a very different lens than you or I would be typically uh, prone to read them. All the way back, the people of Israel, God's people never struggled to enter into the Psalms because they saw them as the song of their very existence, that their life was defined by pain and loss and uncertainty, and yet they clung to the Lord in those moments, not in spite of them. That's why the Psalms have for centuries been called the prayer book of the church. The prayer book of the church. And that phrase has resonated in every generation because the Psalms are this source of hope and comfort in the face of a very broken world. And I think if you or I have ever struggled to engage the Psalms, struggled to actually know how they speak to our heart and speak to our experience, if you hear that phrase, the prayer book of the church, and you kind of shrug it off, It may be that we've never lived in such a time or in such a way that we know how to hear them as a a song of hope written for us. We may simply keep them at an abstract or intellectual level and never enter into them, especially when we think at a big picture, macro level. I know many of you listening, many of us have walked through in a personal way profound dark nights of the soul, profound loss and pain and suffering, and I do not in any way seek to minimize that. And I imagine for you, the Psalms have spoken directly into your situation. And yet, at a big picture level, for us as the people of God living today, for us as citizens of this global society, I imagine as you hear the words of this Psalm, you hear them today in a very different way than you might have heard them two weeks ago, a month ago. Because we're facing a fear, we're facing an anxiety, a fatigue, like nothing we've ever seen. Quite literally, nothing any of us has ever lived through. And as we've read this week, by all accounts, this is just the beginning, the beginning of what will be one of the most difficult periods in the history of the United States, ever. I'm struggling to let the weight and gravity of that sentence sink in to my own life. Maybe you can relate to that. Rachel, my wife and I, multiple times this week have said, it feels like we're we're almost stuck in a dream, like some strange dream. It doesn't feel real because it's come on us so quickly. And yet as these days wear on and, and the more we live in this pandemic and in the reality of this moment, the more real it becomes. And I think the more... I feel the fatigue of the moment, the way we all feel the threat of anxiety, the way it threatens to root its way into our very lives. It can root its way in and and just set up shop, and it's very hard to root it out once it's there. Think of these words, these first four verses, these phrases like, in the night my hand is stretched out without wearying, my soul refuses to be comforted. My spirit faints. You keep my eyelids from closing. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. Again, a few weeks ago, those would have just felt like kind of abstract words, I think. Might have known some people feel that way. But hard for all of us to say we're collectively in that place. Yet. Who of us over the last few days has not had a sleepless night, who's been up way too late on their phone, anxiously reading the news, doing all you can to check in on those who are sick or your elderly loved ones, your family, your friends, that feeling of waking up in the morning only to be reminded of this heavy weight that's settled in on our daily lives. These are remarkable, remarkable times that we're living in. And I wonder, maybe we're just now at the cusp of being able to read the Psalms, perhaps for the very first time. To have the emotional capacity, the emotional lived experience to enter into these. And I think if that is true, even more so, it is in the Psalms that we will find hope. And we will find the encouragement that we so desperately need to see our way through these troubled days. If you hear anything from me today, it is this. Root yourself in the Psalms. In them you will find friends. Friends who have lived through unspeakable pain and loss and horror. And yet find hope in spite of that in the living God. In the promises of God. A God who keeps his word. And we need that. We so desperately need that. Because we have to walk through what lies before us. We have no other choice. And what we need to do is rather than shrink away, is we need to walk ahead with confidence, with a deep, unshakable confidence in God's goodness and his love for us us as his children. And we believe that a new day will dawn. And yet that day is not today. Today is a dark day. Today's a painful and confusing day. As Andrew Peterson says in one of his songs that I really love, he says, this is the storm before the calm. This is the pain before the balm, cold before the warm, tears before the song, the dark before the dawn. I think it's really hard to acknowledge that. I don't want that to be true. I think we always want now to be the balm to be the warm, to be the dawn, not to be the dark and the tears and the pain. Yet that doesn't seem to be the moment we find ourselves in, and it may be some time before in the immediate we feel anything other than that. But we are still a people of hope, people who believe, as we so often sing, that we will feast and weep no more. We will feast in the house. Of Zion. That is our destiny. That is where we're headed. And that is an unshakable hope, an unshakable reality. And so I believe the Lord wants to teach us in this moment, teach us through his word, through the Psalms, through Romans, of his faithfulness, how in the past he was faithful. And so he will be faithful again here and now in the present. And that's exactly what this psalmist does. What does the psalmist do in the face of uncertainty and anxiety and fear? They remember. They remember God's faithfulness. Verse 5 says, I consider the days of old and remember the years of long ago. They're not just thinking about life a few weeks ago, life a month ago, or a year ago. Um, which is something I think we could be tempted to do—to say, "I'm just longing for the good old days," whatever that may mean for us. It may be a few years back. It may mean uh, Christmas time, and just a few weeks ago. And it's something we are so tempted to do—to say, "Oh, if only the last few weeks hadn't happened." And yet, the psalmist is has has this much longer vision of history, and so he's remembering that. There have been countless times in the history of God's people that they have faced great challenge and fear and anxiety and remembering in every one of those moments, God has been faithful in the moment, not in spite of it. And he enters into that place of pain and he shows them and leads them into a new way forward. And so the psalmist in verse 11 says, I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. Again, in verse 14 and 15, you are the God who works wonders. You have displayed your might among the peoples. With your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. God displays his might to his people when they're caught in the fear of famine, the fear of scarcity and not having enough. He showed his power, his might to bring those people out of slavery into places of freedom. And time and time again, we see this and we just have to be able to say, if he did that, then he can do it and he will do it again and again and again. And if that's true for us as Christians, people who belong to his family, we say that is our story as well. And so it is possible for us to live as free, as joyful, as hopeful people, while at the same time facing head-on with soberness and clear-headed resolve, facing head-on the fact that we face very dark and uncertain days. I believe in many ways, this is the very heart of what Paul is trying to say in what we read today from Romans chapter 8. In verse 2, he says, Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. And this is really significant. He doesn't say sin and death no longer exist. I think this week we are painfully aware that sin and death do still exist. Paul's not saying that. But what he's saying is that even in the face of sin and death, as real and as rampant as they may be, you and I are free still from the law of sin and the law of death. What does that mean? The law of sin, and the law of death. I've, I've heard Paul described in this chapter, people have said it's like he's laying out a vision of two contests for our life, two different visions of reality that could lay hold on the whole of our lives, equal contenders, someone called it, equal contenders for this contest of our life. On the one hand, the law of God, and on the other hand, the law of sin. Again, on the one hand, this idea of a life being defined by the commands of God, by his goodness, his purposes in our lives, or on the other hand, having this vision of life that is entirely enslaved to the power of sin and of death. And as real as that power of sin and death is, Paul's hope is rooted in this unwavering belief that there is a power that is greater than the law of sin and death, that it is a lesser power that has been beaten by a greater power, a greater love. And so if that is true, you and I, according to St. Paul, are free people. We are free from the fear of death. It does not have power over us. The power of fear is broken. It has no sway over our lives. The fear of scarcity, the fear of not having enough, the fear of being alone. We are set free from the law of sin and death. How does God do this? How do we have such an incredible hope? Verse 3, Paul says it's by God sending his own son. And the likeness of sinful flesh, Paul says, to deal with sin. God sends his son to deal with sin. And I think on this point, if you listened last week, when I mentioned the word justification, for some of you, your ears kind of perked up. If a phrase like deal with sin comes up, those same ears may start to perk, and others of you may be tempted to kind of check out right now. Um, Because the phrase deal with sin has been the source of a great deal of theological reflection over the centuries. What does it mean that God dealt with sin? This is what people call the atonement or atonement theories, meaning how have people at different times taught or thought? about the, the way in which Jesus dealt with sin. For example, people have said, well, Jesus deals with sin uh, by being becoming an offering, a sin offering, a Passover lamb, fulfilling the sacrificial system and the story of Israel. Others say, no, it's more of a, a, a legal dealing. Jesus fulfills the legal requirements of the law, like in a courtroom where you hear a verdict declared of not guilty. And you see these, both of these, in the scriptures, uh, even in our reading today. And yet, uh, one of the ways that we speak about Jesus dealing with sin that's been a real hope to me this week, especially in light of the events of this week, is the fact that Jesus is the victor. Jesus is the one who conquers. Jesus is victorious over the law of sin and death. We need to hear this. This week, especially, Jesus in his incarnation enters into our sinful world. He identifies with us in our brokenness. Jesus is not in any way a stranger to the effects of death on our world. He knows it firsthand. Just this week, a few nights ago, I was praying a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer with my family at dinner. Um, before you think we're like this <laughs> super pious and holy family that does that four or five, six times a day, um, this was a, a new practice. We don't often sit at the dinner table with the prayer book, but we were we were having spaghetti. We were having spaghetti, and I am uh, deeply mindful of the unbelievable suffering, especially for the uh, for the people in Italy this week uh, and the last few weeks. The way in which they're seeing quite literally hundreds of people a day die as a result of this pandemic with seemingly little to no remedy in sight. And so our hearts have been so heavy for them. And so as we ate the food of their, of their country, of their people, we pulled out the prayer book and, and we prayed a prayer that's uh, called a prayer for those with chronic disease. And in that prayer, it says this, it asks those who, that those who suffer may be strengthened in their weakness and have confidence in God's loving care. Then it says this, through him who knows our weakness and has shared our sorrows, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We have to hold close to that vision that Jesus Christ knows our weakness and has shared our sorrows. He has entered into them fully and completely, and not just theologically, not just in the past, but he does so right now. Jesus is the head of his church and he leads it and guides it in every Age and every moment of every day. And so he is with us right now in our fear and in our pain and in our anxiety. And here's the thing he's victorious. In this. It's not just that he enters into pro- brokenness and feels that. It's not like, like he's just empathetic to our pain, but he does something about it. That is the power of the Christian faith. That is what we profess, that Jesus enters into our brokenness. He takes death quite literally upon himself on the cross so to free us from the power of death. That's the message of the resurrection, that the very thing that destroys us and kills us is the way that God sets us free. There's an ancient Easter hymn that says Jesus has trampled down death by death. As we walk through this wilderness season, this Lenten reality, that's the hope of Easter that we cling to. Jesus tramples down death by death. It reminded me as well of one of the sonnets of John Donne. John Donne was a late 16th, early 17th century uh, English poet. And I thought today, as we were sitting here, what we needed was a little dose of Elizabethan English, a little Shakespearean English to get us through. Um, and so sit with this, uh, this poem. I'm just going to read a few lines of it because he, he also says something profoundly true. Uh, one of his most famous poems called Death Be Not Proud. Dunn says this, Death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkest thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death, nor yet canst thou kill me. Death be not proud, he's saying, because you cannot kill me. Some think you're mighty, some think you're dreadful, but you've been overthrown. At the end of it, he says, even death will die. Even death will die. That is the hope of the Christian faith, brothers and sisters, that there is no amount of fear, anxiety, disease, death that in any way has the final word because Jesus has destroyed our greatest enemy. So you and I are free people. We live lives that are defined by this peace by this hope, this victory of Jesus over the very thing that destroys us. And that's true for all time, but it is true this very moment, as you feel that there are things pressing in that may threaten to destroy you, to steal your freedom, to steal your joy, to steal your security. It is simply not true. Paul's words in verse 9, I believe, are spoken to us this very moment. He says, You are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. How about we close now and just step back a few verses to verse 6. Because Paul says this as well. He says, To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. I believe this week this is the invitation that stands before us right now. I think in countless ways over the coming hours, over the next few days, you and I are going to be tempted. Please listen to me, hear me on this. We will be tempted to be pulled back, to be sucked back into a mind of flesh, into the law of sin and death. I feel this pull. I feel this temptation every time I pull up the news, every time I open Twitter and see what's the latest on the pandemic, what's the latest on the economy. It prompts in me. A feeling of scarcity, this sense of economic ruin, this sense that we fear for our health, the well being of those we love. Every day's headline seems to bring with it another temptation towards anxiety. And if we go full circle, all the way back to my opening comments in Psalm 77, it brings with it a temptation towards forgetfulness. We can fail to remember God's goodness because we're sucked back into that mind of sin and a mind of death. and We fail to see that God is our hope in this present trouble. And so that's my invitation to you this week. Set your mind on the spirit. Paul says it is the way that we find peace, the way that we find life. Now, when Paul says, set your mind, he's not somehow becoming a dualist. This isn't mind versus body. He's not saying to just think about life in the Spirit. No, he's saying, live your life in every way in keeping with the ways of the Lord, with your mind, with your soul, with your body, with all your strength. Align yourself to the life of the Spirit. And hear me on this do not today or tomorrow or in the coming weeks, do not abandon the foundational rhythms of our life with God, the rhythms upon which your life is meant to be built. You and I need them now more than ever before. We need to pray. We need to root ourselves in the scriptures, find ways to be in community, prayerful Christian community with one another. It's more essential than ever that we do this. Press in to the life of God, to this family of faith, and let's journey together through this season. Uh, there's ways we do that individually. There's ways we're doing this as a people as well, as a parish family. I mentioned some of these as, at the beginning, but as we wrap up, just a reminder if you are a parent, if you have kids at home, Trinity sends out Northside, Trinity Northside sends out a kids parent reader. Um, that has weekly invitations for you to find creative ways to be the church at home. We need this now as much as ever before, an imagination for our homes as little churches, our homes as domestic churches, places in which we encounter the very life of God, the spirit of life and peace in our homes. And so take advantage of that resource. Pray with your family, pray with your kids if you have them again, I mentioned the weekly reader, not just on Sundays, but also coming out on Wednesdays with with great resources there. We're going to have a daily morning reflection coming up here in the next few days from the Trinity pastors. A few minutes in the morning where we reflect on one of the lectionary texts for that day and offer a few pastoral words about it. For the north side, we're also starting Wednesday evening prayer that we will offer as a recorded resource for you each week. Sindhu and I have been working on this, where we, from the book of Common Prayer, we'll take the evening prayer service. She will record a few songs that will integrate into that service, and uh, it'll be a resource that we share in that midweek reader, and it's a way for us to pray together from a distance, but to still be together and pray in the evening, um, week by week as the church family. Uh, Also, coming up, not this coming Monday, not tomorrow, but the next Monday on the 30th of March, we will begin a Monday midday prayer service for the north side that will will be a live gathering it will be something that we do not in person but will be live by video online and uh, this is stretching my technological abilities I used to be very current on technology and I feel like with every passing year that gets less and less the case and yet we have really smart minds on our communications team at Trinity that have helped us figure out ways to do this because uh, we need one another we need to do life together even from a distance and these recorded resources are are helpful, but it's not the same. It's not the same as interacting back and forth. And so uh, even now, go ahead and mark your calendar for beginning on the 30th, but every Monday after that until we're back together. uh, Mark it for 30 minutes on on Mondays from 12 to 1230, and we're going to have midday prayer together. A simple way for us to do this as the family of God. Again, this is not the time for us to shut down. It is not the time for us to check out. Our neighbors, our neighborhoods, our city needs us to be the church. And to be the church, you and I must be renewed by the Spirit, renewed by the life of God, finding daily this life of the Spirit that Paul talks about, finding every single day life and hope in the midst of a great storm. Amen. Amen. Why don't we do this? Before we close, How about we pray together the Lord's Prayer as you're able, and then we'll close with a final song. So would you join me in prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. The Lord be with you this week in a profound, unshakable way. If there's anything you need at all, please reach out to me personally. trip T-R-I-P-P, at atltrinity.org. And I'd love to hear from you. We'll be together again on Wednesday evening in just a few days, for evening prayer. But between now and then, God be with you. May His blessing be on you. May He send us out in whatever way we are able to be His hands and to be His feet to do the work that He calls us to do in these uncertain times. Amen.